0: of legalistic Judaism, that is the very specific and accurate way to look at these verses in their historical context. Paul is writing to various churches in the region of Galatia concerning a false gospel, a false doctrine. That has been spreading through that region. And that false gospel is a system of religion. It is a system of self effort. It is a system of works. It is the propagation of a false, untrue teaching. That says, in order for you to be saved, you must obey the law that God gave to the people of Israel, to the Jews, through Moses. And therefore, you see, the name Judaism is the religion of adherence to the ordinances, the rules, the commandments, the laws that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses on Mount. Sinai in Arabia we learned all of that from previous messages but I just repeat it because when we read our text this morning chapter 5 verses 1 to 6 I want us to see that this is the explicit way to understand what he's talking about in the historical context in other words the way the original readers would hear it and read it however before I read the text and we pray together, I, will, I want you to hear me say that this the title could also be, in a very real sense, branching out from that idea of legalistic Judaism to the terrible effects of legalism, period. Because Judaism is only one type of legalism. Every other world religion is A legalistic religion. They're all based on a system of rules and rituals and ceremonies and days that are observed in some of them. And certain times of the day, certain prayers are to be given. But all of these things are viewed as stepping stones toward acceptance with God. All of them. Whether you're a part of, it doesn't matter. Whatever the, whatever the religion is, other than Christianity, which is not, in truth, a, a religion whereby we legalistically do certain things and don't do certain things so that we can earn acceptance with God. That's not Christianity. So the terrible effects of legalistic Judaism is the immediate context, the way the historical people in the region of Galatia would have heard it uh, very pointedly. But out from that, we could say the terrible effects of false teaching or the terrible effects of legalism in general. So with that said, let's look at our text. Now, last week, I shared with you that we were in chapter four. And we were looking at verse 21 down to chapter 5, verse 1. And I said that chapter 5, verse 1 was sort of a bridge or sort of a transitional statement by the apostle. That is, that is it can be understood very well with chapter 4, 21 to the end of chapter 4. And it also serves to help us nicely In the transition over into chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. Or really the whole chapter as well. He's been building up and building up this case for salvation, justification being by grace alone. Received by faith alone. In and through and by Christ alone. And he's been contrasting that with legalism, the legalistic Judaism mainly, and we've talked about it in general terms as well. And he comes to this point in the letter, and he says this statement verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, that's a good bridge between everything that he's been saying chapters one and two apostolic it was a defense of his apostolic authority to speak into the life of these gentile churches authoritatively from christ through him to them that they're accountable for And then chapters 3 and 4, the great historical defense of the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that people are justified not by the law, but by grace through faith in Christ alone. Chapters 5 and 6, he's going to talk about what that produces. What kind of life does that produce? And so you can see it very clearly, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand therefore firm and do not submit again to a yoke. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful this morning. To be able to sing together, pray together, open your word together. And so we're asking now that you take these words. That you inspire to be written. That you've preserved through the centuries. And now we have read them together. God, take these words. And by the power of your spirit, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. Welcome, embrace, and delight in the truth. Of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us oh God today. To understand the clear warnings. Of this passage. Of any kind of legalism. And specifically. A legalistic Judaism. So help us we pray. For your glory. For our good. For the good of future generations. And I pray for the salvation of souls. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I really have three pegs on which I want to outline or hang our thoughts of these six verses. Number one, I want us to think about that transition statement that he makes in verse one. Christ set us free for freedom. And then secondly, I want us to think about three effects Of this kind of legalistic Judaism. That he delineates. And then finally. I want us to see. What true Christianity. Looks like. And how it functions. So number one. Christ set us free. To be free. (laughs) That's what he says in verse one. Read it with me again. For freedom. Christ has set us free. And then the admonition or the commanding statement stand firm therefore and do su- do not submit again to a yoke of slavery for freedom christ set us free christ set us free to be free <laughs> and the problem with legalism of any sort is that it brings the person back under some kind and form and system of bondage and slavery. We talked about this before. The Jewish people that were legalistic in their Judaism, that was their type of legalism and bondage and slavery. However, these Gentiles that did not before submit to Judaism... They weren't going back again to that, but they were going to a different kind of slavery. They were taken out of a form of slavery where they were religiously, ceremonially, trying externally to earn their salvation, earn eternal life, earn acceptance with God, whoever they thought he might be, through a system of works, through a system of self-effort and fleshly... Effort, And maybe probably the first thing that we should think about is the reality and let the emphasis be on Christ set us free. So if you hear that statement again, for freedom, Christ set us free. It is Christ who sets people free from bondage. It is Christ who sets people free from slavery. The slavery to sin, the slavery to legalism, the slavery to the nature of sin that we all possess. Christ is the one who sets us free from all of that. Jesus himself said "If the son sets you free. You are free indeed. You are indeed and truly set free. Paul says it a very similar way. It is for freedom that Christ himself set us free. It is not us. It is not our performance, he says. Christ has done it. It is not us. It's not through our adherence to the law or any other kind of external constraints, rules, lists. Do this and don't do that. And, and make sure that at this time and observe this day and go through this ritual. All of that is external ceremonial ritualism and legalism. And it saves no one. Here in this text, Paul emphatically says it is Christ who sets you free. Beloved, if you are going to be free this morning, if you are free this morning, it is not through self-effort that you have achieved that goal, but it is in and through Christ himself. Christ himself. And so he says how terrible it is if we were to go back and submit ourselves to a burden of slavery once Christ has set us free. The images of someone who is locked in a cage, down deep in a smelly, damp, dirty dungeon somewhere, locked in a cage, chained to the wall, and someone comes in, unlocks the door, walks over, unlocks the chains, and says, okay, you can go out. And they go out and they go across the next door to the next cell and step inside and close themselves back in, go over to themselves back to the wall again that's the picture here that's what legalism does and we're going to talk about it here in just a minute about how this audience i believe at least three different ways that they would hear this statement here christ has set you free now he says stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery and i think it begs the question, why? Why would a person go back to some form of legalistic bondage after they had been set free in Christ? These, these folks had heard the message of the free grace of God. Salvation by grace as a gift to be received by faith in the finished work of Christ. They had heard that they had believed or at least Paul says, I'm starting to get worried a little bit about it. I thought you did. Why would they go back? And I think that at least one of the things that we could say at that point is that it is such learned behavior. So many people think of, if, if I'm going to have eternal life, if I'm going to be saved, I have to do better. I don't know why. Well, there's a lot of reasons why, but I'll spend all of our time if I stay there. But for many reasons, that is just, I think, inherent in the nature of sin, in the flesh. i got to do something. And I think it's so learned because, as I said before, all other world religions are legalistic. All of them. And that's why people can't understand that, that we are not, we don't believe the same thing. Because what they do is they look at it and say, well, you know, in this religion they want you to be a good person according to these kind of standards. In this religion they want you to be a good person according to these kind of standards. In this religion, if you do this, uh, you know, you, you, you eventually get to the point where you get whatever. You know, whatever their whatever their heaven is, whatever their plateau is, eternal life. But they're all trying to earn their salvation. They're all trying to earn a spot. They're all trying to earn uh acceptance with god and what people don't understand is because we do a lot of things sort of ritualistically don't we we come to church every sunday morning at 11 o'clock we come to church on sunday nights at six o'clock we we uh we read our bibles we pray to our heavenly father and so People sit back and they scratch their heads and they say that kind of looks like this. It's not exactly the same, but it kind of looks like it. So isn't it all pretty much equal, just different systems? No. And the difference is right here at the point of the gospel. Because all of those world religions, all of them, all of them, if you do this, you you can be acceptable. Christianity says, you. Do not do anything. You receive a free gift. That God has done for you in Christ. The work to redeem you. You can have peace and freedom and acceptance with God. On the basis of Christ has set you free. Not your performance. But it's so easy because all of the world religions are practicing this kind of self-effort, earn, work, do this, don't do this, in order to gain eternal life and forgiveness and acceptance with God. It's sort of inherent in the sin nature to think that if I do bad over here, I've got to make up for it over here. Like there's some kind of a big scale, you know, in heaven and all of your good and all of your bad And if your good can just kind of sort of outweigh your bad, God will accept you. Baloney. It's all bad. If you want to picture a scale in your mind of your good and bad, it's all bad. Because the Bible goes so far as to say that that which is not done in faith toward God, out of love for Him and reverence for Him, that is sin. Even if it's building a children's hospital. It's, it's not like that when you look at the holiness of God who is perfect and righteous and just and set apart from all other creatures that He has made. And we on this earth are breathing His air. We are wearing His clothes. We are using His energy. We live and move and have our being by His sustaining power. The world continues on as it does by His sustaining power. And think about the way we live. Think about the way we do. Think about how self-indulgent we really are in comparison to this holy God. You're not going to earn your salvation. Paul has made that clear. It's in Christ alone. And he says that he did it so that you would be free. Not so that you would go back to bondage and slavery so that's the first point christ set us free to be free secondly secondly and this is the main part of the message the terrible effects there's three of them that he mentions specifically here number one the first terrible effect of legalistic judaism and i'm saying to you i want you to hear this as legalism in general okay any kind And we're going to talk about that. There's a lot of people that are living the Christian life in bondage because they're trying to live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh. Some of you may be doing that. And it's bondage. So the first effect, number one, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So I'm taking it right out of the text. No creativity whatsoever here. (laughs) Does he say, I, Paul? I don't know. Maybe he's pointing to his apostolic authority here. I am telling you, or... He could be saying, I, Paul, who was once the poster child for legalism in Judaism, I'm telling you. See what I'm saying? Both of those have weight. When he says, I, Paul, am saying to you, the one who came out of Judaism, the one who was a legalist of the legalists, who was delivered and set free by Christ and in Christ, he says, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, What? Here's the first negative, terrible effect of this legalistic Judaism. Christ will be of no advantage to you. He will be of no advantage to you. Now, the reason that Christ will be of no advantage to you, it's like... Making the work of Christ meaningless. How does that strike you? To take the work of Christ and it will be meaningless. As if there was no effect whatsoever when the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, bowed his head and died on the cross of Calvary. He says that it is either, really in these statements he's saying, it is either Christ or the law. But it cannot be both. Notice it's a conditional statement. If this then this. If you what? Accept circumcision. Then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now why is that? Because circumcision was the sign of the covenant. Does that make sense? Circumcision of the flesh for these men. That was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign of that they were under the covenant of law. And so he says to them in verse 2. That if you accept circumcision. And thereby come into and under. Put yourself through that rite of passage of circumcision. Through that external operation. And you are putting yourself under the law. He says Christ will be of no advantage to you. If then, turn over if you will to Romans chapter 11 for just a moment and verse 6. Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. I want you to hear these words again. What he's saying in essence here, when he says, if you accept circumcision, and that's what he's going to do, by the way, in all of these statements that we're going to be looking at, he's essentially saying that it's either Christ or it is the law and your performance of it. Okay, let me say it another way. It's either grace or law. But it can't be both. That's what he's saying. Look at what he says in Romans 11 and verse 6. He says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of what? Works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It's either that Christ is all sufficient or he is insufficient. Christ is either all sufficient to save you or He is insufficient to save you. It cannot be both. It cannot be, He says, the very nature of grace, and I hope you get this, the very nature of grace is corrupted and destroyed if you add works to it. If you try to put 99% grace and Just earned it with your 1%. It cannot be both. Christ will have be of no advantage to you at all. You cannot mix them. It's either between Christ or circumcision in this verse. You cannot add anything to the finished work of Christ. Go back to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21. We already came across this reality. In the letter itself. He says in chapter 2 and verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't make empty God's grace. He says for if righteousness were through the law. Then Christ died for no purpose. It's the same statement. It can't be. Christ is not going to be all sufficient to save you. And then you give him a little help. That would destroy Grace, he profits you nothing if you are seeking to be under the law. It makes the work of the cross worthless, no advantage, no benefit to you at all. Ephesians chapter 2 is another good one to look at. You're in Galatians, just turn over to the next book. Ephesians chapter 2, listen to these words very carefully. Look at verse 1. I'll try not to get caught here. And and you were dead. You were dead. What can dead people do? <laughs> dead people don't do anything, do they? What does it take to raise a dead person? A divine miracle. You, I said I wasn't going to get caught, and here I am. If If I bring a corpse up here, nothing is going to bring that corpse to life except a divine miracle. You can have a pep rally. You can get up shout and sing. And spit and stomp and snort and lay hands on it. And do everything you want to do. It's not going to move. Unless God performs a divine miracle. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And once you once walked following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his what? Grace in kindness toward us in, in Christ Jesus. It's all in Christ. And then here's the verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. <laughs> It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We will not stand before God and say, here's my one percent. There's no boasting going to happen in the presence of God when we enter into that heavenly city. When we enter into that eternal blissful state, no one will be standing there and entering in on the basis of their works and performance. Because no one, listen, will get the glory and the credit and the praise and the, the exaltation but Christ. Only him. He did it. He did it. So the first negative effect is we will have, Christ will have no, will be of no advantage to you. Secondly, the second negative effect in verse 3 is that you're obligated to keep the entire law. So if you go back to Galatians 5, verse 3, he says, I testify again. He's repeating himself. He's already talked about it before, either at a previous time or back in the letter. And he says, I testify again. I am protesting. I'm saying to you again to every man who accepts circumcision. So there's the same word. There's the same phrase, right? Accept circumcision up in verse verse 2. And he says it again in verse 3. So he says, I testify again that if any man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole or entire law. And beloved, that's one of the problems about legalism, whether it's a legalistic system of works that you've created, which most people do, by the way, most people, and we're so hypocritical, we don't sometimes bless our hearts, we just don't realize it, but we, uh, we have standards and different things that we think are bad and we don't try to do those things, but we might do something else and somebody else's rules and lists look different than ours do. You ever, you ever thought about that? Well, that's the way it is in every legalistic system. There's always things, you know, like you, you don't do this, but, you know, what about this? Well, that's okay. I heard a book, there was a book entitled one time, uh, Respect. Because the church has created a bunch of them that they just kind of, you know, it's all right. You know, if we gossip or it's all right, if we're so a little among the church, as long as we don't and you fill in the blank. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that's going on. And Paul reminds them again that if you come through the ceremonial rite of passage of circumcision in under the law as a means of justification, salvation in the sight of God, you're obligated to keep the entire law. That's what um, James writes about. If you want to turn, you can look in James chapter 2 with me for just a moment. Right before, or right after, excuse me, the book of Hebrews. In James chapter 2, you can just listen as I read if you want. Beginning in verse 10, James is accountable for it all. The strength of the chain Is the summation of its links. If one link is faulty. The chain is faulty. You could have. You could have nine great links in a chain. And one. The tenth one. No matter where it is on the chain. And if it's faulty. Cracked. Defective. You've got a weak chain. He says here. If. If whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, he has become accountable for it all. Why? Because you're a transgressor of the law. <laughs> it, it it doesn't matter whether you think it's a little more acceptable, you know, that I sinned in this way and I and, and, and somebody else sinned in this ooh, that looks really bad on you. But it's okay over here because I don't know, it just doesn't feel or whatever the reason is, it doesn't make any difference. If you break God's law and we all have then we're all transgressors, we're all guilty, and we're all under the curse. He says, for he who said, verse 11, still in James 2, for he who said, God, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. You see? So Paul reminds them, okay, you want to come? And put yourself under the law as a means of justification. Acceptance with God. Forgiveness. Salvation. You want to do that? You can. But just know that the standard that you have to meet is you have to keep the entire law without exception or failure. So you cannot, beloved, pick and choose. And I could talk about that at length If we wanted to broaden that out within the life of the church. Folks, if God said it is wrong, it is wrong. God doesn't change. God's moral law never changes. Never. Never. If God's moral law would change, it would mean that God changes. And God does not change. And you and I cannot pick and choose, and that's what is the problem with so many world religions and self-effort is because we ultimately become the deciding factor as to whether or not something is acceptable or not. And somebody will say, "Well, I think it's all right," or you know, I understand that, but I, I really believe that if it makes me happy, or if it um, if it feels good, or if it brings me success, it's okay. For me. Beloved that sets yourself up. As the final authority. On morality. And what is right and wrong. And we do not have that privilege. That privilege is reserved for God. Alone who made us. He sets the standards. And if you want to. Come under the law. As a means of justification. Then you are obligated to keep. It all think for a moment. About the summation of the law. We're guilty. You can you can do all the particulars you want, but in your heart of hearts, day after day, day after day, you and I know that setting up some form of legalism and I do this, but I don't do that, and I've got to do this, and this makes me a little bit better. We know when we when we take the summation of it all and say that our lives are lived in every moment to the glory of God, that we love God supremely above all things in the world, including ourselves, and we love our neighbors. Like ourselves. We all know we're guilty. Legalism can't save you. Paul says look. If you're going to do this thing. of personal performance and self effort. And achievement. To earn your salvation. Then you're obligated to keep the entire law. Which is summarized by loving God supremely. And loving everybody else. Just like you love yourself. Nobody's going to get there that way. That's the second effect. Number three. The third effect is that you are severed. I'm going to combine two here because, and I'll show you why, I think these two phrases are combined. The, the, the third negative effect of legalistic Judaism in verse 4 is that you are severed from grace, from the grace of God in Christ. Let me say it like that. You are severed, cut off, from the grace of God in Christ. That's the way I'm going to say it. You are severed or cut off from. From the grace of God in Christ. If you want to pursue legalism. Any form of it. As a means of justification. And I hope you hear me saying that. The Christian life is not freedom to sin. It's freedom to love God supremely. And love others as yourself. It's the power to do it. That you don't have in and of yourself. That namely through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you're freed from the external constraints of the law. And listen very carefully. The motivation of obedience, you know, I do good, I come to church, I pay my this, and I do that, and I try to help out, I try not to lie, and I try not to steal, or whatever the case may be. And you come up with all of these lists. If you're doing so that God will say, okay, wow, look, look at what you've done. You've, you, you did pretty good. So I guess I'll let you in. If that's the motivation of your heart. Paul says, there's no way you're, you're not saved, you're not justified, you're not made right. with Actually, he says it more strongly than that. He says in verse 4, that you are cut off from the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. Be severed, cut off from grace. Because grace is the unmerited, unearned favor of God upon you while you're dead in your sins. Because effort to God, then you are severed from the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. He's essentially saying the same thing that he's been saying. He is of no advantage. You're severed from Christ. And he says a phrase, you are fallen away from grace. Now, some people take that to mean, and I have to say this so that you'll know, some people take that. Oh, see, you've fallen away from grace. You lost your salvation. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's not talking about assurance of salvation in this text. He's talking about two different principles that are at work. Works or grace. Promise or self-effort. See? Faith or works. Works. Two different principles that are at work in order for us to be saved, forgiven, accepted, justified, just as if I have never sinned in the sight of God, acceptable in the sight of God. You who would be what? Justified by the law. So if you are seeking law justification, you are severed from Christ. And you have fallen from grace. How do you fall from grace? When you seek to save yourself through self-effort. Because why? Remember. You cannot exist together. You cannot mix them. We already read from Romans eleven six and Ephesians 2 that testifies about it. Also, again, just to point out again, let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 21 and read it just a little bit differently. I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Same thing. If you can have self-righteousness through your personal performance of a list of rules of do's and don'ts that will make you righteous in the sight of God, then beloved Paul says Christ, Jesus died for no reason. That's a strong statement, isn't it? If you want to live like Jesus' death on the cross was for no good reason, you try to earn your salvation through the performance of your works. Beloved, this is what John Newton was writing about when he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That I think that people listen to this and they probably heard it. Okay, three ways, I think, to hear this. Number one is an unregenerate church member, (laughs) and Paul hopes they will be saved. Okay, so here's three people in the churches of Galatia. Here's number one. Number one is an unregenerate church member. Christians go through to become part of the church and to consider themselves to be saved and righteous in the sight of God. And Paul writes this to tell them, listen advantage to you. God that is in Christ, if you're seeking to get called up, performing to get an acceptance with God. So the first way to even this context and in this context here this morning is that you're in the church already. You're a member of the church, but you're not born again. You're unregenerate. And the way you need to hear it and the way they would have heard it. Can you imagine this baby Christian? Paul comes and preaches the Christ, they're saved, God's working miraculously among them, it says in chapter three. And then all of a sudden these Judaizers come. In. All of this false gospel, they start preaching this false doctrine of legalistic Judaism. No, actually, you need to do these works. And here's this young Christian, and they don't really understand. That's the second way I think you can hear it. That you're saved, and let's say they're a part of one of these churches, but they're a spiritual infant in a pagan religion. They believed on Christ, they're saved, they're born again, they're a part of the family of God. But now their theological waters are muddied by this false doctrine and they're getting caught up in the flow of legalism and Paul's writing and says, hey, you want to know what you're really doing? And they say, whoa. And so the second way to hear it is not, hopefully the first one hears it and says, and and, and believes and trusts in Christ alone. Hopefully the second one Moves away from the legalism. And grows. And the formation as he said before. The fullness of the formation of Christ. The maturity of Christ would grow up in them. And so the spiritual theological waters will be cleared up. The muddy water will be cleared up. And they will have the joy of the freedom that is in Christ alone. The third way. I think you can hear it, is the worst. And that is an unregenerate person who hears the truth of the gospel by grace through faith in Christ, add nothing to it, and reject it. I understand what you're saying, Paul. I understand what you're saying, preacher. You're saying that it's not according to my works, but it is in Christ alone, and I don't believe it. That's the third way you can hear it. That an unregenerate person, they're not born again, hears the truth of the gospel, comes right up to the threshold, and says, No, I'll have none of it. I'll stay with my self effort, I'll stay with my religious performance. Negative effects of legalistic Judaism is that you will be that Christ will be of no advantage to you. Second negative effect, you're you're obligated to keep the whole law, the entire law. Third negative effect, you're cut off from the grace of God that is in Christ if you're seeking works-based justification. And then he says, he kind of turns a corner with the word for, what is the alternative? What is the reality of verse 1? You can kind of think of this little text as the bookend on the first on the, at the beginning is Christ set you free to be free. Now stand firm. And then in verses five and six, he says, for through the spirit, key word, by faith, we ourselves. So he turns the corner now from you who are seeking this justification through the law. He turns the corner, he goes back and he says, we he's talking about believers now including himself for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. There is something that is futuristic about righteousness, which is by the way, what all people are looking for to establish themselves as righteous before God. One is through personal performance and self-effort and one is through grace in the work of Christ. He says for verse six in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And I could be fast and go through it, but I think I'll pick it up there next week. Let me pray with you. Father, we are so thankful for your amazing grace. How sweet it is to hear it. Lord, we thank you for that. We take this moment to praise you for that. and We ask you, Lord, to move in every heart today. There might be someone unregenerate that is a church member. Maybe not here, but somewhere else. There may be someone that's regenerate, but they have gotten caught up in some kind of legalism, whether they created it themselves or somebody else taught them. Or there might be one here today. We pray this doesn't happen. That understands it and knows it. And rejects it. So God we're praying for them. All of them. That you will draw them and call them. The cords of your mercy and love. That you will show them the desperate need that they have. And show them the glory of a crucified and resurrected Savior. And God we pray. That they will step out in faith, turning away from sin and trusting fully and finally in the work of Christ. God, we pray that you will help us to rejoice in that reality. Every day. We ask in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.